Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim ba'et ha'eretz. Repeat after me. Bereshit bara Elohim. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et hashemayim. Et hashemayim. Ba'et ha'eretz. Ba'et ha'eretz. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et Hashemayim. Ba'et Ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, amen. You can be open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. And uh, Pastor Stephen was uh, correct. The pollen, I don't know where you live if you're online with us, but around here we're like at the height of pollen season. And uh, so my throat only has so much in it, and I've got at least four uh, hours of teaching to do today. So um, <clears throat> I don't hold back for you guys. I only know two speeds, wide open and stop. And so I go till I can't go, okay? So I'm not going to hold back for you guys. But um, we're in, in Genesis 7. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water to help me today. So... The, Here's the deal, I, as I've been studying for this, um, there are a lot of things I kind of knew in general. I studied a lot about today, um, listened to what I could find on the flood itself and what was happening, especially in relation to how the earth looks today and some other things. And uh, I discovered that this seems to be um, one of the events in the Bible that everybody really doesn't want it to be true. I have found even Christian, so-called, I don't know what their flavor was, where they would say, well, you know, that doesn't sound right. It could have been this. It might have been that. I mean, they, they were wishy-washy is what I would call that. You know, spineless is another good word for that. Where, where, where you know, people want you to be open-minded. But if you walked around open-mouthed all day, you'd starve, right? Every once in a while, you got to bite down on truth. And, and what we see and what I learned as, as I went along, there's only a couple of sources that just went, of course, this is real. And this is how it could have happened or, you know, we weren't there, so we don't know exactly. And I had a, I had a lot of details, but I was trusting electronics, and I don't have those electronics. So uh, maybe the Lord didn't want me to bog down too much in detail. But Genesis 7, the story of the flood, is the most detailed, longest story in the Bible. Three chapters, 88 verses. There, it, it has, um, I think it's six time stamps to make sure that you knew exactly when it happened. Noah's this year, this month, this year, this month. He, they say it very clearly there. There are multiple instructions in, in this account. And, and uh, chapter 7 is just kind of rich in that. So I'm calling this today that the proof is in the earth. Because when you look at geology, you can see the effects of the flood. And only a catastrophic worldwide flood can explain what we see in geology. I know I, I should be reading scripture. So let me stop myself. And I want to read and pray before we go on. I'm, I'm just going to have you um, stand. And I'm just going to read the very first verse. Because we're going to look at a lot of this. And it's a lot of verses. And I won't have a lot of time. So... The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your, all your household, 
For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then we start getting some other instructions. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is the accurate record of what you want us to know. That, that your scripture opens up to us exactly how the earth was created and exactly what happened throughout it. So, Lord, we pray that this day you would open our eyes of understanding to behold wonderful things out of your word. And, Lord, um, I selfishly pray for myself, but, Lord, for everyone's benefit who might hear this, that you bring to mind the things I need for them today. God, your word is so vast. We could study it. If, if we could study it all day, every day, 24 hours a day without eat, rest, or sleep, Lord, we could never plunge its depths in our lifetime. So we pray that this day you would give us that thing we need to go and be the people that you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can uh, be seated. I mentioned that it seems so many people are against it. Let me give you three witnesses uh, that are for it. I don't mean... I don't mean live witnesses. Well, one of them was. Um, but, but here are three witnesses of the flood. The first one is Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Jesus said uh, this. The righteous will answer him. Let me make sure I'm in the right spot here. I'm in 25. See, 24, uh, verse 37 to 39. There we go. For as, the day, as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is comparing the second coming to the days of Noah. And so, some people have just read that part and stopped and said, Oh, you know, there's going to be this, 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 and this happening. Jesus said, Here's what's going to be happening. Nobody's going to be paying attention. Look, look what he says in 38. For it, as in those days before the flood, they're eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be uh, the coming of the Son of Man. And that text, uh, there's another very important thing Jesus is saying there. That I need, I want you to realize. When I did find legitimate sources to help me understand what was going on, um, it, what was kind of interesting, I saw those. And then I would listen to somebody else that was kind of like, eh, I don't believe that. Uh, but they would ask the questions. I'm going... Dude, if I could just send you this link, it would answer your question. You know, it's like, we don't know this. Well, yeah, it, this explains it right here. But, but there's something in these verses. Jesus calls Noah a, a real man, says those events are real. But here's what I found from some of those legitimate stories. One of them in particular, they seemed a little prickly about cute arts, arcs. You know, like the ones we put in our nurseries, the little fat ark with the giraffe's head sticking out. They're going, that makes it something so cute. The flood was God's judgment on the world, and he destroyed the world with the flood. It wasn't cute. It was judgment. And listen to what Jesus says. They're just going around, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. But listen, and they were unaware until the flood came. They weren't paying attention that judgment was coming. And if you don't get anything else out of the flood, and this is, I'm preaching a whole other sermon right now. Get that out of the flood. 
Here's another great witness, Hebrews 11. We do not know who, who with, with detailed accuracy, who the human author of Hebrews is. We know the author of all Scripture is God. But in Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then in Second Peter in chapter 2 and verse 5, uh, we see this. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of, un, of the ungodly. And then he goes on. If by turning the citizen, he's going on and saying judgment was coming and they weren't paying attention. Again, we see that emphasis on judgment. You say, well, Peter and the writer of Hebrews, you know, they'd always been told those stories were real. When I was a kid, I was told the story was real. So I believe it because I was told that. Well, now I believe it because there's evidence that it is real. And, and I'm a, an adult and I can research this stuff. But I would just put come back to this beginning source Jesus said it's real so Jesus is either a liar or he's crazy because he's an eyewitness to it in fact he's the cause of it so if the flood's not real Jesus ain't real because he is either intentionally deceiving people because, well, that's what they understood, so that's what he said. No, he never lied to him. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Right? When he talked about heaven. So, with that groundwork and covering that a little bit, let me just give you this to take home with you. Since Noah is real, God is a sovereign God to do whatever he wants or wills. And in Peter, I'll hopefully show you later. I put it in there somewhere, but as I said, I don't have all my complete notes. In a couple chapters over in Second Peter, he said this, but he will destroy the earth by fire. There is a coming judgment. And we can talk about the science of that at another time. But look with me in Genesis 7. I want you to catch some things going on this flood. And in my own, I'm an amateur. I am not an archaeologist. I am not a scientist. I don't play one on TV. There's no way um, uh, anybody can really prove. In fact, all geologists agree with the facts I'm going to give you. I'll tell you where they disagree in just a moment. But in the first 10 verses of chapter 7, we see Noah getting in the ark. And in fact, he gets in it twice according to the scripture. But if you read it correctly, he's not getting in it twice. It says, God told Noah to get in the ark. Then he tells how he told Noah to get in the ark. And then he tells when he got in the ark what happened. So in the first couple of verses, verse 1 through 5, uh, it says he takes his family. He takes seven pairs of all clean animals and uh, male and female and a pair of animals that are not clean, a male and a female. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, because they say, oh, how did he get all the animals and types of animals on the earth, on the ark? Do you know how many of kind of animals he needed to get? A one pair of a kind of animal, of a male and female, so that they could live past the ark. How many he needed to have all the animals we have in the world today? It was only 5,000 pairs if he had 5,000 pairs we would have all the animals we have today and we've lost some since the flood 
mainly the dinosaurs, right? And so, but they were on the ark at the beginning. So he tells him to get those people, get them on the ark, those animals, get them on the ark. And seven, and by the way, we don't know how he knew the difference between clean and unclean. This is before the law, and, but somehow they knew. And so he takes these animals and seven pairs of birds of heaven, male and female, to keep their offspring alive. And for in seven days, he warns him a week ahead, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. Well, then let's look at the second telling because we get a little more detail. So Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Exact age, exact timing. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, of birds and everything that creeps on the ground. So you got bugs and insects. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the floods came upon the earth. So that's just two general tellings, but check out verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day. The exact day when this happened. So we see the judgment coming, beginning in verse 11. All the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm going to come back to that because I want you to see 13. On the same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to his kind, the livestock according to their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, and every winged creature. They went into the ark, and this is what I want you to get, verse 15. They went to the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life, and those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the last phrase is the one that you better hold on to. And God shut them in. They walked in. They didn't close the door behind them. God shut the door. And when God shuts the door, you're not going to get back out. And nothing else is going to get in. God sealed the door. That is a, a phrase that lets us know that not only is God in control of what's going on, but that Noah was trusting that God was in control of what was going on. When we see judgment coming, our only safety is God. Our only way out of judgment is in God himself. The one who is bringing judgment will receive you to himself. You'll be his family. You won't come under his judgment, but rather you'll be saved from punishment and hell and eternity in a, in a hell with when you come to Christ and accept him and believe him. And here in the flood story, the Bible lets us know that God shut the door on the ark. That door was probably on the third story. Remember, it was three stories in it. Remember how big it is? A football and a half uh, feet uh, long, yards long, a football and a half field long, I'm trying to say. And so they went in. Now, in that text in the beginning, I said I was going to come back to it. It says the fountains of the deep were broken up and rain fell from the sky one of the things the skeptics will tell you is there is not enough water on earth right now all the water in the sky and all the water in the lakes and all the water in the rivers or creeks or whatever you call them no all the water in the oceans 
if uh, it was all to be piled up on the earth and you melted both ice caps, it would not cover the entire earth in water. That is absolutely true. But if you smoothed all the mountains out and made the earth a marble, it would cover the earth by 8,000 feet. And guess what created the mountains? The flood. You with me? Okay, hang in there. Because the Bible, we don't think there were even, there possibly weren't mountains before. God may have created them, but it doesn't say specifically. We don't get mountains mentioned until after the flood. And the action and the motion of what was going on in the flood probably created all the mountains there are. So I'm going to try to give you a little bit of detail about all of this because my third point is it keeps getting deeper, okay? Um, judgment comes, but it keeps getting deeper. We are so used to thinking of this, by the way. Man, 40 days, that's, that's how long the flood lasted. No, it lasted over a year, 370-something days. I had it written down, but 370 blah days. It's right there in the text. You'll see it if you keep reading it. That, that the flood, the first 40 days was just when the water fell out of the sky. But it continued for 150 days, the action of what God was doing. And there's a hint there. It says the deep broke up. Before this, and you know, this has been kind of theorized for a long time, but now it's kind of being taught as fact, that all the continents were one landmass before the flood. That there were not separate continents. We were all hooked together in one landmass. When the deep broke up, and right down the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is a ridge, a rift, where you could see where the earth at one time opened. And so what is happening is the magma in the world under the water is starting to build pressure up, 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 up. And where there were these little cracks, it starts getting, building higher and higher. And then it explodes up into the water, vaporizing the water because it's, you know, I don't know how hot magma is, but it's Rafe Hollister hot if you ever watched um, Andy Griffith. It's real hot, okay? And it vaporizes that water and shoots it into the sky, which is now steam, which turns back into water and falls back down. So you are boiling the oceans, basically. And when those land masses start rising like that, it killed all the simple life that was close to those rifts. And they, can, they draw them out for you today. I don't mean Christians. I mean geologists will show you where all these line rifts are. One of the largest fault lines in the world runs through South Carolina. Y'all think it's in California. They're more in danger on the coast of South Carolina than they are over on the coast of, of, uh, of California. It's a bigger uh, fault line there, but you, we're, we're famous with San Andres Fault. All these things are the world, the crust was, was whole, and now it's getting broken. And so these land masses eventually, by the end of the flood, start moving apart. And you can change the climate of the earth by rearranging the land masses. Scientifically speaking, I won't get into that. But just understand, so as that broke up and the water started falling, that happened for 40 days. There are, they call them mega sequences. The, and this is geological talk. This is not just Christian talk, but it fits this story. The first three big geological se sequences, as these things are breaking up, killed all that simple sea life. Let me ask you something. When they show you a chart of fossils and 
atheistic evolution, what is at the bottom of the chart? Troglodytes. No, uh, <laughs> what do you call them? Trivites or something. Single cell little sea creatures. Small, on my desk, I got a rock with a little fish about that big in it. It's a fossilized thing. I've got rocks that, that Pastor Todd and his children picked up with fossilized plants in them. He just picked them up around here. Those are the things that died first. They're the simplest things. They're close to those fault lines, and it killed them all. And in those first three events, when they get to those layers of the earth, when they can look at that, and by the way, they've been, where we're learning a lot of this is they've been drilling for oil. And as they drilled for oil, they have found the same thing on every continent. And what I'm talking about today is in North America, South America, and Africa right now, where most of these samples that we, the, I'm getting these facts from, happen. And so you always got these simple animals. <laughs> well, duh. They're just hanging out, minding their own business, you know, the little single cell things and small little tiny things just kind of swimming around. And by the way, when you look in a book at pictures, those little tiny organisms that are about that big look as big as the dinosaur beside it, right? They were really small, but there, there are gazillions of them on tops of mountains around the world. Y'all know they find seashells on Mount Everest, right? And that's just a fact. They find rocks with shark's teeth embedded in them. For a long time, they had some weird name like fairy leaves or something for it. And uh, back when they figured this out, they used to send lot, uh, a sample of a, a, a biological creature to a man making the lecture. He would ask for it. So this scientist once said, oh, I'd like to get a shark. He was inland. They'd never seen a shark. So he gets sent the head of a great white shark, and he would dissect it in front of the class and lecture, and they would discover. And he's dissecting it, and he saw the teeth, and he went, oh, fairy leaves are shark's teeth embedded in rocks so far inland they'd never seen the sea or a shark i'll give you a personal story i'll give you two today at least and that was uh, where we used to live we had a shallow well and so year round no matter how much rain we had if we washed clothes you had to wait 12 hours to take a shower <laughs> all right you never washed your car. You let God do that with rain. You know, it was just, we didn't have, we didn't have it. And man, we, one time when we had company for Thanksgiving, we got a farmer to bring us a 500-gallon water tank and set it out there. And we ran a hose to the house with that thing because we just have, so we finally said, let's dig a well. Let's drill it. So these guys are drilling a well. And it went, I forget, 500 to 700 feet they went down. This is down on the coast. And so it was two brothers. They're very well-known where we were living then and this guy one day I go I go out there and as they as he's drilling the water is is spewing out with 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 all the dirt and sediment and the, and his brother stand there with a the shovel hit, letting that water hit that shovel and knocking anything solid back off into the grass I said what are you doing he said I'm looking for shark's teeth I said really he said, yeah, we always find shark's teeth at this level because every 10 feet they would put a deposit out just to see where they were. And I said, in all my brilliance, you know what caused that? He went, yeah, the flood. <laughs> <laughs> because they drilled many a wells and every time they got to that layer, there's shark's teeth because that's when they died. It's in the geological record. So those first three, not much vegetation. Then we come to a new one, 
And did you know that in North America, there's a thing called the Dinosaur Peninsula? It covers 12 states. It comes from like the middle up west down to almost New Mexico. It comes down that way. And in there, they find a little more advanced dinosaurs. And they find, and this is what's going on. Let, let, let me stop and throw one thing at you. I know this sounds like a detailed lecture on geology, but I want you to understand what God was doing in the flood because you'll hear all these people, oh, that's not possible. That couldn't happen, this, that, the other. When the, I told you it broke up. What happens in an earthquake? What is actually going on? Plates are shifting because they're rubbing like this. That magma's coming up and some of it's shooting out, but some of it's rolling off. It's creating a new seabed, a new seafloor, and as it rolls, it's pushing the land sideways, and they ran, it would hit the continental part, and that magma then would just curl back down when it hit that solid and come back under. So as it's busting out of the water, it's pushing the land underwater against the land that's above water, and when it would hit, it would slip under, and now you've got plates covering each other. In 2011, um, 47 miles off the coast of Japan, there was a slip of 120 feet. No, it wasn't that much. It was 60-some-odd feet. Created a tidal wave 133 feet tall, traveled 43 miles to the coast of Japan, and traveled six miles inland and covered it with silt and debris. As the earth was busting up like this, it was creating tsunami after tsunami after tsunami after tsunami several an hour as it's doing it. Because a slip of 100, I think it was 123 feet, created a 133 foot tsunami that traveled six miles onto the coast of Japan. As this rain is falling, as the water is boiling and refalling, as things are shifting, the water is rising, rising, rising onto the continents. And in North America, you've got this dinosaur alleyway, and that's where they find all the fossils. And what they found is fresh dinosaur or dinosaur footprints that were made in mud that became fossilized. And these were of larger dinosaurs. And it would suggest to me, and it should to you, that if you're bigger and smarter, you can travel further getting away from rising water. They swam, they waded, they stomped, they ran. And they find all these dinosaur footprints in that, in that section. But now we're starting to see plants because above that are even some bigger ones. But by the way, one particular dinosaur whose name I cannot say, they found no baby dinosaurs, just adults. Because the babies got caught quicker than they did as they were running. And so where there's these fossil beds, you don't find many babies. You just find adults in that level. Well, now you get bigger ones in the next level. And you start getting this buildup of vegetation. And it created the Appalachian coal strata. 177 trillion tons of coal is our coal deposits here. If all the vegetation in the world was used to make coal today it would be a very small fraction of that. Suggesting to us, since there weren't a lot of people, but there was nothing but vegetation around the world, it was a vast amount. And it settled 
most of it up here is where we get coal, but wherever there's coal. Coal is created when vegetation is pressed between two rock layers. So you got mud, vegetation, mud. It hardens into sedimentary rock and presses it and created coal and oil and gas. It's not dinosaur bones. They always call it fossil fuel. It's not fossil fuel. It's plant fuel from way back. And then you have the final thing. And as these waves are washing over the continents, a tidal wave, when it hits, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I heard about tidal waves. I just imagined this big wall of water coming at you. It is not a wall of water. It's a wall of mud. Because the turbulence of a tidal wave is sucking sediment off the bottom of the ocean. And because it's moving so violently, and by the way, those plates were shifting Back in the flood, they figure at least five miles an hour. And that, that, what, that tidal wave as it comes in the shallows and then moves up into no land, then it starts collapsing and it deposits all that mud and then the water drains back and you got sedimentary deposit after sedimentary deposit after sedimentary deposit after sedimentary deposit. And so by the final stage, these waves are hitting and just building up continents with sedimentary debris that turns into rock very quickly well now the water's got to drain off that's after 150 days now the water starts to drain and as it drains what's what's going to happen i you know maybe i don't know your age in here if you're my age or older this might have been what you did for fun when you were a kid if you were younger than me you may not have ever had the joy of doing this but when you're bored in the summer, you get mom's and dad's hose. And you go and you hit the ground with it till you make a little river in there and you just cut into the dirt with that water. Imagine the whole continent of the United States being covered in water. But imagine a cutaway of the United States. And what you see is coast leading up to the Rockies and the Appalachian chain and then a high plateau. And everything's draining off that plateau and down these mountains on both sides of it. Well, somewhere it all got channeled on the west side and it cut through and it created the Grand Canyon. The Colorado River, even if they were right about the age of the earth, could not have been cut that deep by a simple stream of water for that long. It would take much more than even millions and billions of years to do that. But if water from a flood who's deposited sediment is draining, it'll cut a trench and run right through it and make one that big. Did I mention that the headwaters of the Colorado River are lower than the Grand Canyon? So it would have to run uphill to get in there to do that. That's not possible. Okay? By the way, those layers in the Grand Canyon, in some places, the geologists used to say, well, it's this, 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 and this, and it's that way every time until they got the Grand Canyon, and some of them are flipped because the water is hitting and draining, hitting and draining, hitting and draining, hitting and draining, and it's creating everything we see. I told you geologists agree with everything I just said, that what they disagree on is how long it took. I always wondered about the Ice Age. I finally found out. It's pretty simple, really. Everything is broken up. You've got this hot lava coming up out of the water and doing all this stuff. Now you've got a lot of moisture. Everything is cooling down. But those volcanoes bursting 
ash into the air and the atmosphere caused a worldwide global cooling that gave us that ice age. It just happened after Noah. It was just a few thousand years ago. It wasn't millions of years ago. And then as the earth moderated and the ash got out of the atmosphere, the earth warmed up a little bit and the ice retreated back to the caps. All of that, that that's creation science, does not deny one bit of the Bible. I will also tell you just quickly about the fossil record. The dumber you are, the quicker you die. That's just the truth in life, by the way. And, and um, you, you might be a redneck if you have a relative who died after saying, hey, y'all, watch this. Um, so that's my family, by the way. That's why I say that. So you got the simple up to the complex. But what about where you see literally millions of bones all washed together? Oh, wait, washed together, tidal waves, floods, things getting jumbled around. Also, the earth cools so quickly. Did you know that they have found mastodons in the ice in Siberia with tropical vegetation in their stomachs and in their mouths? They got covered in water and froze quickly with that stuff still fresh. In fact, some of the fossils, and this is very, very recent, they found this. That those tidal waves are covering those dinosaurs. There's a T-Rex out in the west. As far as I know, it's still in there. They're still digging it out. And it was covered by 50 feet of mud. What kind of event has to happen for a T-Rex to get covered by 50 feet of mud? But what they have found are bones and blood cells that were preserved, that weren't destroyed. They did not decay. They didn't die because they were covered in mud. And then it turned to rock and it, and it, it sealed them in. So they do find even stuff that is like almost living matter. It's very it's quick frozen and quick preserved. This all happened over 150 days, not just 40. 40 is just the rain. And then all this other stuff continues going on over and over and over. And when we look in chapter 7, the, in verse 17, it continued 40 days. The water increased bore up the ark, and it rose high upon, uh, above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And again, we had ocean water being boiled and thrown into the atmosphere. So it's not just the water we see in the atmosphere or just the water we see in the ocean because the deeps were broken up. By the way, another kind of old fact, but completely scientific fact, they've often wondered or used to wonder for years, how come there's salt in the ocean? But we, it's not draining off the, off the continents. They don't, couldn't figure it out. Then they discovered vent holes in the crust at the bottom of the ocean where water is continually being cycled through the bottom of the ocean. The ocean cleans itself if you leave it alone. And that is what's bringing the minerals out of the magma beneath it. And so there was more water on the surface of the globe during the flood than since the flood because some of it drained back down below that crust level. Just a fact. They find underwater caves and oceans. So the water prevailed so mightily, the whole earth was covered. And uh, verse 21, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. 
He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. In every culture of the world, there's a flood story. Every culture. We cannot find a new hidden people that do not have a flood story. It is true the Epic of Gilgamesh and the one out of Egypt were written before Moses wrote the one he wrote. That is true. The Epic of Gilgamesh was written before Moses wrote this. But there's a vast difference. Number one, it's just kind of a mention there. It's not the detail. The Bible gives us three chapters, 88 verses, extreme detail and timing so that we can figure this stuff out. It's not hinted at. It's told uh, completely. Jesus said it was true. Peter said it was true. The writer of Hebrews says it's true. God says it's true. God's word. But what makes more sense is since all the other accounting of it is kind of weird here's the similarity there's a guy there's a boat or some means of floating on the water and they're the only ones that get through the flood those are the common factors of of all the stories this one has so much detail in it do you think that Moses created detail out of general stories or were the general stories created out of the detail because everything I just told you is about a tenth of what I learned you see what I'm saying? I studied a lot of detailed stuff. I've, I got 20, 30 minutes to tell you that in short. This is the source that gives us the details. This is the true record of it. Jesus said it was the true record of it. Because you're going to run into people. They're going to say, oh, well, yeah, but the Epic of Gilgamesh was written before that. Yeah, because everybody that was alive had ancestors that went through the flood. And that story was orally passed down for generation after generation. You get away from the people of God, the line of Adam, the line of Seth, over here, and you get away from that, what are you going to find? You're going to find people that are going to distort the story. But when it's people that have feared God and walked with God, they're going to be careful not to add to God's word nor take from it. Plus, Moses is divinely inspired to write it, we believe. Now, that's where it comes into faith. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. The evolutionary theories of how the earth got here breaks laws of science. This does not. Breaks no known law of science. Perfectly logical and completely, could be completely accurate within the known laws of science today. But if you get all of that and you miss the point, you're going to be in trouble. I told you I'd come back to another verse, and that is this. In 2 Peter, again... We were in chapter 2, I believe, um, and we'll have to, yeah, chapter 3, look at verse 4. Uh, look at verse 3. We ought to go back to 1-1 one, one and get to here, but we don't have time. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? And here's their error, and here's where uh, all evolutionists make an error. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning 
of creation. For evolution to exist, there has to be no change of anything for millions, if not billions of years. Plus, you, you got to get a one in a number so big I can't even say it for that to even happen. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this, of these, the world then ceased, was deluged, deluged with water and perished. But look at verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is a second worldwide judgment coming and it will be a fire. You say, how's he going to burn the whole world? Well, in Colossians, we find that Jesus not only created the world, but by the power of his word, it holds together. And if you know anything about science at all, and you know about atoms, all the particles in the center nucleus of an atom have the same charge, which breaks the known laws of science. When two things have the same charge, they repel each other. They do not attract each other. It is scientifically a mystery why they don't blow apart. When I was a kid, they called it cosmic glue or nuclear cement because they didn't know what else to call it. When it took us till 1940-something to figure out how to make that atom let go, we created an atom bomb. And if the one who holds the entire universe that is observable together by the word of his testimony one day will say, let go. And everything that was created, and Peter also talks about this, will melt with a fervent heat because the entire universe will become one gigantic atom bomb. And all creation will burn up and he'll make a new heaven and a new earth where there's no sin and no devil and only his righteousness. You better get ready. They ignored it in the New Old Testament when the flood was coming. Don't ignore it today.